We're going to be over in a number of different places in the Bible. But as we are getting started here, I heard this story. There was a preacher who was, uh, uh, way back in the days, you know, we're, we're at wireless stuff now. Everything is wireless. Your phones are wireless. Everything is wireless. But a long, long time ago, it didn't used to be that way. And preachers thought it was great when they took the microphones out of their hands with the cord and they put them on the lavaliers, but they still had the cord and the cord would still go out the back. Anybody remember those days? All right, a few of you. Well, there was a time and that was going on and this particular preacher, he was, uh, he was preaching and he had the lavalier and the little thing went around his, his ear, on his, I guess it was on his lapel, and the cord that went on down the back and he's one of those fiery preachers. And there was a mom and a young girl, she, they were in the church, first time they were in the church, they sat in the third row, third row there. And this preacher, he come all the way out to the edge of what that cord would allow him to go. He couldn't go any further and he'd, he'd get all the way out here and the cord would kind of jerk a little bit and get real tight and he'd stop and uh, he'd preach and he's animated and he's just having a time. And then after that, he'd go over here to the other side and he'd move himself all the way to the side and he'd be preaching and he'd be going at it and, and loud voice and, and arms moving all over until he couldn't come over on this side anymore. The cord was as tight as it could go and is actually pulling up a little bit. And then he'd go back over here to the other side and the little girl, she says to the, her mom, she says, she says, Mommy, if he gets loose, will he hurt us? <laughs> well, last time we were talking about binding and loosing and a number of other things, but we got on to that. And I hadn't really realized that, that particular topic we hadn't talked about in a lot of years. So um, I got some questions after last Sunday uh, about that. Not everybody said what their questions were. I, uh, a couple of you just said, well, I had some questions about that. And so I thought, well, I guess it's because we haven't covered that in a little while. And uh, a lot of times, you know, Christians, we, we fall into things. And we've, we've fallen into things a lot of times. How many times have we fallen into, even though we know better, we know better, we know this is not what we're supposed to do, how many of us have fallen into the pattern, the old pattern that we used to have, of asking God to heal us? Anybody done that? God, I, uh, I'm just suffering from this. Oh, please heal. We know that's not what the Scripture teaches. We know that's not what Jesus demonstrated. We know that's not what Paul demonstrated, what Peter demonstrated. We know it's not in the Word of God for us to ask God for what we already have been given. But still, we sometimes fall back into the old pattern because this is what we had always done. And so we begin to pray and say, Father God, I just want to be healed of this thing. And I see people on Facebook and they post stuff like this all the time. Just pray for me and ask God that he would heal me and, and think we know that. And, but we fall into it. And instead of speaking to sickness and disease, we, we stop doing what we're supposed to do and we do something different. And every once in a while, it seems like it does work. And that just keeps us going on and we we some of the things we learn on binding and loosing you know i christians go out now i bind satan in the name of jesus i loose the blessings of god upon me in the name of jesus and we do these particular things and have, don't raise your hand on this but how many know that sometimes it seems like it works and the reason that we do things is because sometimes it seems like it works now i'll give you an example on this how many of you have a machine such as a lawnmower? Maybe a blender? Something in your house that is mechanically oriented and for some reason it stopped working. What is it that most people do to get it to work? 
Come on, admit it. What is it that most... We hit it! We hit it! If it's a lawnmower, we kick it! If it's a blender, we go out to the side. Hit it! We hit it! Let me ask you this. Where in the manual does it ever say, if the blender is not working, strike it hard? If the lawnmower fails to start, try kicking it. Where does it say that in any manual, anywhere, for any mechanical device, that if it's not working, what you should do is kick it, strike it, shake it, do something aggressive like that? It's not in there. There is no manual in which that is. Yet how many Americans practice this on a regular basis? Still not working. That's not what you're supposed to do. Now, if you are a mechanic and you see somebody kicking their lawnmower, what would it do to you in the inside? Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. It doesn't need to be kicked. If you are a computer person and you see somebody whose computer is not working and they kick it, what would that do to you inside? No, don't do that. That will hurt the computer. It worked before and I did it. And you have a hard time telling them that it would not, this is not going to fix their problem because it worked before. I know one time I did this and it worked. Kicked that lawnmower and it started right up. So therefore, the thing that I do, but the manual will tell you if it's not starting, take off the carburetor, clean out the carburetor, and spray some starting fluid into the carburetor and start it up. Now, how many people follow that advice? I see. So you would rather do what's not in the manual every time than to read the manual and do what it says. Huh. Isn't that kind of funny? And you know how, many, how much success you will have with a lawnmower that's not starting? If you take apart the carburetor clean it out, spray a little starting fluid in there and start it up. You know how much success you will have with that? Nearly 100%. That is usually the cause of why a lawnmower won't start. Anybody work with engines will confirm with me. Anybody here at all? Anybody work with engines? I was hoping you'd raise your hand. Is that usually something that's going to fix it? Yes, so you are a person who's actually done this, fixed these things, and you will tell me that that is usually what will fix it. Kicking won't help? No. <laughs> but that's what we do. You see, it's the same thing with the, with the gospel. We'd rather not read the manual. We'd rather not understand the manual. We'd rather just do what seems like it ought to work. And so what we do in the area of binding and loosing is we have come up with an understanding of what it is, and we're just going to apply it even if the Word of God doesn't teach it, and even if, and this is the big one, not a single person in the Word ever practiced what Christians do with that verse today. Not a single one in the Old Testament, not a single one in the New Testament, not a single time does anybody say, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, that you will not keep this job from me. I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, that you will not keep this money from me. I loose the power of God upon my life. I loose the blessings of God. This is not in the Word. But what is in the Word, we don't necessarily like as much. 
So we'd rather do the things that we're comfortable with. Things that are easier. How many know how to take apart a carburetor? Yep. How many of you ever thought, you know what, it might help to learn how to take apart a carburetor? I talked about that episode of um, Last Man Standing that we saw, the, the first pilot episode that we had never seen before. Love that series. Love that series. That is just my favorite show on TV. Not quite ever, but real, real, real close. And uh, the, the one girl, she had a boy that she was dating, and they got a flat tire. And they called for roadside assistance to come and to help them change the flat tire. And, of course, Tim Allen, the dad, he said, anybody remember this? this he, anybody ever saw this show? Right, I'll tell you the rest of the story then. The dad said, that's it. You're breaking up with that boy. Anyone who cannot change a flat tire does not deserve to, to date my daughter or something along those kind of lines. And so he also took the car keys from her and he says, you will not be able to drive anymore. That's not fair. How come? He says, you can drive as soon as you learn how to change a flat tire. That's not fair. I don't want to learn how to change a flat tire. And so she went on for a little while not driving and finally got tired of that and went out in the garage and changed the flat tire. Changed the tire. Came in all grease covered and whatever else and said, I changed it. He gave her the keys. <laughs> See, sometimes you'd rather just do something else than do what the Word of God says. To do it how the Word of God says to do it. Because sometimes it might take a little bit of practice. You might get your hands dirty cleaning out the carburetor. You might have to learn some things that you're not comfortable learning. But you know what? Maybe it's a little bit more difficult on a car. Anymore, the cars don't have carburetors, but you used to be able to do this on a car. But it's really not that hard to take apart a carburetor on a lawnmower. Now, I know what this number is, but I'm going to ask someone else here. Les, how many screws do you have to remove to take apart the carburetor on a lawnmower? Is it four? I thought my number, my, my lawnmower is off then because my number was lower. I had, I had two. I had two, two screws and one with a wing nut. <laughs> you don't even need any tools. Just take the wing nut off. It comes right off. Your lawnmower had more screws than mine did. <laughs> it's more complicated. But even still, if it was four, how hard is it to take off four screws? It isn't hard at all. But see, a lot of times in our mind, how many of you think, take apart the carburetor and put Oh, that sounds hard. Oh, I just can't do anything like that. And yet if anybody showed you how to take apart a carburetor and spray starter fluid in it, you say, that's it? That was easy. Yeah. See, what God is teaching you to do will actually work. And it's not as difficult as we may make it out to be. But what happens is the devil gets us off with a false teaching, with a false application, with doing something in the wrong way. And we focus all of our effort into doing that. How many times will people, how much effort in the Christian church, how much effort is focused on asking God for things he's already given us? A lot, isn't it? How many times do you hear Christians asking God for things He's already provided. He's already given to you. Because if the devil can get you to put all your effort into things that God didn't say to do, you won't put the effort into what God said to do. And therefore, your Christian walk 
we'll get all messed up. It's important that we don't don't have it be that way. Matthew eighteen eighteen again it reads Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This goes over again in Matthew sixteen thirteen through twenty one. He reads the same thing. And he gives them the same teaching from from Paul or from Peter's life. Remember when they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they came down they were asking him about, about Elijah. I'm sorry, that was a different part of the scripture I was reading. Over in verse 15, he says to them, it's going back a little bit. Let's just read this over. 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man am. And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Now there it is, he's, he does this in the same gospel, but he gives him another account where this is going on. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Where and when did Peter say anything about binding or loosing? In all the things that he said. He didn't. So why is Jesus teaching on this? Jesus always keeps things in context, doesn't he? Why does Jesus teach on binding and loosing, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why does Jesus then talk about binding and loosing? Well, if we simply read the rest of the, the passage, I'm not saying that you folks don't. I'm saying other people. They just don't read the rest of the passage. They just lock on that and, and go with it. Verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And uh, at one point, when, he, when this story is related, he actually says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Oh, he did. He said that earlier. Okay, was it? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but how was it revealed? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So they had a, an understanding of who Jesus was revealed to them. Verse 21. From that time... Jesus began to show his, his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. All right, in this passage of Scripture, has anything been loosed? And the answer is yes. What was loosed was what Jesus was able to teach them. Up until this point, he had never taught them about his death and resurrection. But he said, from this day, from this time, after he makes that confession, and he realizes, or he speaks to them, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, once they have stepped into this revelation and accepted it and believed it, he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. 
from that point on, what was loose to them was not necessarily something that they wanted. But it was loose to them because of what they did. Because of what they said. Because of what they believed. They believed that Jesus was the Christ. So therefore, from that point on, he began to teach them that he would suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. What was loose to them was this understanding, was this teaching. It was loose not because Peter said, I loose that teaching upon myself. I bind this. He didn't do any binding or loosing. What he did was, he spoke out what he already had come to believe and to understand. And he spoke it out. Because of that, Jesus was able to change what he was able to teach. Last time we saw that after Jesus said that, he went into the parable. And the parable of the man who was, re- who was forgiven a great debt, he was released is actually the word that was used. He was released and forgiven. He was released a great debt. And then he went out and found somebody who had a small debt. What did he do with that one? He bound up the forgiveness that had been released to him. But with him, he bound it up. And so when the master heard about it, the master called him in. And what did the master do? He bound up the forgiveness that had been released to him. Didn't he? Why? Because he went around saying, I bind or I loose? It's because of what he did. His actions to not forgive. And that's exactly what the master said in the parable. You had been forgiven a great debt. Could you not also forgive one who owed you less? And he said, no, no, you're going to come back in here. We're going to hold you to this. And by his actions, by his words, by his belief, he bound up what had been previously loosed. But he bound it up in heaven. And he loosed that unforgiveness from heaven toward him. Now here's the thing, folks, and we're going to try and get into this here today. What he says is, whatever you bind on what? Will be bound where? Most Christians expect that to read, whatever you bind on earth will be loosed or be bound on earth. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on earth. That's how we expect it. But that's not how Jesus taught it. Let's get into some scriptures here. First one we're going to take a look at is Abraham. Abraham in Genesis chapter 11. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Genesis 15 verse 1 through 6 we're reading. But Abraham, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Now, Abraham has heard a number of things. God called him out of the land of Ur, and he told him the blessing. He told him the things that he wanted to do, the plans that he had for him. 
And he reiterated that several times. Here he pulls them aside again and he says, I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. And the first words out of Abram's mouth are, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eleazar of Damascus? The first words that he ever, he ever spoke to Abraham were that he would be blessed, right? Going over that and take a look at it. Genesis 12, verse 1 and 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your, fa- from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great, what? Nation. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the initial thing that he had spoken to him. Now, if you are going to be made into a great nation, what has to happen? You have to have kids. You have to have offspring. Someone must come into your family. And then they must have children. And they must have children. And they must have children. In order for that to occur, that's what has to happen. So God, in the first word he spoke to him, gave him all that he needed. But when Abram sees God again, what's he been thinking on? I don't have any kids. What's he been talking about? When he and his wife sit down and they talk, what are they talking about? Still don't have any kids. I can't figure out why we don't have any kids. One of them said this at some point. One of them said these words. For some reason, God has withheld children from us. I know. I know. It's what I was thinking too. God has withheld us from having kids. How do you know that? It's real easy. He tells us. Verse 2. Genesis 15. And Abram, but Abram said, Lord God, what will give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Who do, the, who do they blame? God. They blame God. Who do most people blame for their sickness? When you go and you talk to Christians or you talk to non-Christians, how many of those non-Christians blame the devil? How many of those Christians blame the devil? A few more. But most Christians blame who? God has seen fit to give me this disease, this sickness, this handicap, this whatever it is. They blame God for it. People that are in poverty... How many of them blame the devil? How many blame God? Most people do. Why are you poor? Well, I guess God just saw in His infinite wisdom that I just needed to be poor. Right? Whatever condition we have that does not seem to go, who gets the blame? For most Christians and almost all unbelievers, they blame God. Go to a person who does not go to church, does not believe in God. Ask them, why is the world at war? 
Whose fault is it? God's fault. Why is there poverty in the world? Whose fault is it? It's God's fault. Why is there violence in the world? Whose fault is it? It's God's fault. Why are there storms that kill people? It's God's fault. Do you see that most people blame almost every bad thing on God and the devil skates completely free? It's right here with Abraham. Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is... Is my heir. One born, one, indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Just born in a house. Not even mine. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted him for righteousness. Another time he took him to the sand and he said, look at the sand. Can you count the sand? Can you count the stars? When you read this passage, what is God's desire for Abraham? That he have offspring. That he have children. Is there any doubt in the words that God has spoken? In any of the words that we've read so far, the one in Genesis 12 and there's other ones that we've, we've even skipped past. Is there any doubt in the words that God has spoken? That God desires that Abraham have children. Can we say for a matter of fact that it is God's desire that Abraham and Sarah have children? Is it Abraham and Sarah's desire to have children? Yeah. Does Abraham and Sarah at this point have children? No. But it's God's desire. It's their desire. But it's still not happening. Why, how can that be? I mean, certainly if, if God wants them to have kids and they want to have kids, shouldn't it just happen? But it's not happening, is it? What didn't change Abraham's condition, we gave you a, a few things here. There's a few things that did not change Abraham's condition. First off is what he desired. What he desired did not change his condition. If what Abraham desired did not change his condition, is what you desire going to change yours? No. And yet so many Christians feel that because I desire this and I don't have it, it must be that God doesn't desire it or for some reason that this ought to be enough. God, don't you see how much I want this? Don't you see how much I desire this? Here's the second one. Why didn't God, what didn't change Abraham's condition? What he heard. Abraham heard the word in Genesis chapter 12. He heard this word in Genesis chapter 15. There are other words that God spoke to him. Everyone spoke about him being a blessing. Everyone spoke about him being the father of many nations. Everyone spoke of the coming child. Of him having children. Everyone spoke of that. To some measure. To some degree, every single one has it in there. He heard this. And even though he kept hearing this, is it changing his condition? You've got to understand this. What you hear and what you desire is not going to change your condition. Here's the third one. 
Now, God has called them to be a great nation, right? He's called them to be the father of many, right? So what does he need? He needs a kid. What he needed did not change his condition. So get this part down. What you desire, what you hear, and what you need are not going to change your condition. It didn't work for Abraham. It isn't going to work for you. But when we go to God, we talk to Him, I need, I desire. And isn't that what we do? I need, I desire. We go over the things that we heard, but you said, here's the fourth one. This one didn't change his condition either, what God wanted him to have. Did God want him to have his own child? Yes. Did he have it? No. Just because God desires that you have something does not mean your condition will change. Let's take a look at what did change Abraham's condition. Genesis 17, 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you nation, make nations of you and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you and I also, also I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God huh 99 years old and God says this to him. Now, I didn't copy this one in there, but the one that's before when God comes and talks to him, he comes and he talks to him and he says, in about a year, I think is how he phrased it, in about a year, you're going to have a child. And what did Abraham, what was Abraham's, Abram's, what was his reaction? Everybody remember? He laughed. Shall one be born to me who is so old? And he laughed. Why did he laugh? At the very thing God spoke to him. So imagine this. God shows up. God appears to you. God comes, stands, and appears to you. And you know this is God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ appearing here before me. And he has spoken a word to me. And that word is that I will be the father of many nations. That I will have children. And my response to them is, to God is, <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on. Come on. We're over that now. Shall one be born to me who am so old? To Sarah who is past the time of giving birth? And the Lord comes back to him. No, but it will happen. No, it will. It will happen. It will go on. This will one come from your body. One come from your body. In Genesis 15, obviously he was doubting. Lord God, what will you give me? Verse 2, seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. 
Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Just one born in my house is my heir. But he laughed at God because he's been talking. He's been thinking. Now, here's, what, here's the problem that a lot of Christians have, folks. M- many Christians have this problem. Is that we read it in the Word. We hear what God speaks to us that this shall happen for you. Whatever it might be. Could be an area of healing. Could be an area of children. Could be an area... Whatever it might be. Whatever blessing it is, God has promised us. We read in His Word, and this is what it says. And I hear that, and I've pursued it. I have pursued it, and it hasn't come. And I've pursued it, and it hasn't come. And I've pursued it, and it hasn't come. My condition is still the same. Nothing has changed, but I'm pursuing what God has said. And after a while, what happens after you're pursuing that? You get tired. Happens in the natural realm, too. Happens in the natural realm. People who have decided that I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I'm going to lose 50 pounds. Whatever it is that you want to I'm going to lose a certain amount of weight. And you pick up on this diet that so-and-so has taken and they've lost the amount of weight somewhere close to the amount of weight that you wanted to lose. And so you pick up that diet and you start with that diet. And you're on that diet for one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks on that diet. You have not lost that weight. What happens with you and your enthusiasm for this diet? I am tired of eating cottage cheese and lettuce and celery and peanut butter. I'm going to sink my teeth into a burger. I want to go out and have a pizza. Tired of eating southern food. Now, it's a standard joke for us anymore. It's a standard joke. I mean, we just laugh about it. My family, they're... They just sit there and they, they watch me when we go on vacation. They watch. When am I going into vacation mode? Because they all know that when I'm on vacation, I go into, I've, I stated it to them, I go into vacation mode. And when I hit vacation mode, all stops are off. And I eat whatever I want to eat. Because up until then, I do what Brother Hagin says, and I live the fasted life. And I approach each meal. If I eat the meal at all, if I approach the meal, I eat less than I will normally eat. I go through a day and eat far less than, than people that are on diets. Just because that's... The way it is. I was taught that that's even a better way of going about fasting than having fast days. And I was doing fast days and I found out, you know what? This is better to to do this on a regular basis. But when I go on vacation, I am no longer fasting. And we go on vacation mode. When I'm in vacation mode, then everybody who can't finish their meal, guess what? You wanted that? And it comes my what? Yeah, sure, come bring it here. Yep, yep. Wait a minute. There's, there's vegetation in that. Keep it away. Don't need any vegetation. Did you have mushrooms on that? No. No mushrooms. Still have those. Still have, to have some standards. But I, I will eat three meals a day at least. And we had one day we were over at SeaWorld. I was looking forward to going to SeaWorld. Not because I hadn't seen the shows. Not because I wanted to see Shamu. Not for any other reason that if you ever go down to Florida, 
SeaWorld has the best plan to feed you. They're organized and they're ready and it won't break your bank. You go over to Disney and if you want to eat in vacation mode, you will pay for it dearly. I don't want to pay for it dearly. Go over to SeaWorld and for $35, you can eat all you want for the entire day. You can drink all you want for the entire day. And desserts are plentiful. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. Because <laughs> you can go into any restaurant and order whatever. Well, I need the six or I think it grew to eight. Eight restaurants throughout the park. And you can order any entree that you want. A side dish and or, or a dessert and a drink. Any three of those four items. Any three of those four items. You can get them every hour. You know how long it takes you to eat? It takes at least 30 minutes to eat. Now you only got 30 minutes to go. And so you can walk into the same restaurant or a different restaurant and show them that little meal ticket tag that you got to band on your arm and get whatever you want to eat. So the first meal we did, we did barbecue. And I got brisket and cheesecake. The next meal we did, we went into the Mexican restaurant. And we got, if you want to do fajitas, you could do that. Or I don't like to construct my meal when I go on vacation. I'm not here to build my food. Somebody else should do that for me. So we got, I got a bowl. Had all the fajita stuff in a bowl. It was good. It was good. And then we went on to another one for a burger. This is before dinner. This is before dinner. And then we went in and we had first dinner. And then we were planning on having second dinner. But then they got caught up in the festivities down at the one end of the park and so we just stayed there and we did not have second dinner. But I had at least two desserts. I had absolutely nothing healthy. No salads. No vegetation of any kind. And it was it was good. You see, I wasn't in vacation mode. I was in a, a different mode. Folks, we have to get out of this mode that we are sometimes always in. We have to get ourselves shaken free from what I always learned this was supposed to be and get moved into the place where we're doing what the Word of God says to do. And even though it sometimes works when you kick the lawnmower, if you do it the way the Word of God says, it will work. Abraham has been in doubting mode for a long time. And when he's before the presence of God, he got fixed until he left the presence of God. And when he left the presence of God, he picked up the same conversations. You think this is ever going to happen? I doubt it. I don't think we're ever going to get pregnant. I don't think a kid has ever come into our house. I think God is purposely keeping kids from us. This is the conversations you have. Because how else do you stand in the presence of God and say, you have withheld us from having kids? How do you do that? 
because you have switched yourself over into an entirely different mode in which you cannot seem to pull yourself out except for those brief period of times when you're in the presence of God. But then when you go out from there and you're talking with your friends, how many kids you got? None. Doesn't look like I'm going to get any either. Who's the heir of your house? Well, it's not any of my kids because I don't have any. God seems to be keeping me from having kids. He's always making these promises, always talking about all these things he's going to do, but does it ever show up? No. It's never here. I mean, I've been believing God. I've been believing God. I've been believing God that I would have a child. No child. Nothing. No change in our condition. He keeps talking about father of many nations. Yeah, I'd like to be a father of one. Just one. In fact, I'd like to just be the father of one child. Can I have one child? No, I have none. This conversation that they're having, how do you know that? Because you cannot stand in the presence of God and have this conversation. He didn't do it before. It took him a while until he got to this point and now the frustration is just coming up. And he's speaking these things out. And he says to them, Mm-mm. Nope. And he speaks to him. One time he even laughs in the presence of God. <laughs> that's funny, God. Oh, that's funny. That, that's, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So we get to Genesis chapter 17. He's 99 years old. He's been on this route for 24 years hearing from God. Nothing changing, nothing happening. And God tells him again what he's going to do. Verse 10, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. This is the first time he's come up with this. This is the first time he's spoken this. Why doesn't he speak this before? It's pretty simple. We're trying to get Abraham out of the mode that he was in. And he's not out of that mode. We've got to do something different. We've got to shake him up. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he was born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He was born in your house and he was bought with your money, must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the circum- uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So circumcision became a sign of a covenant that all the men, all the males born in that house. He's, God, he's still speaking about what? Those born in the house. Abraham, when, when a child, a male child is born in your house, this is what you shall do. When a male child is born in your house, this is what you're going to do. Now, he's got one. At this point, he's got one. Who's he got? Ishmael. One time, God came to him and says, let, let Ishmael live before you. And God says, well, Ishmael will become a great nation too. But that's not what I'm talking about. You and your wife, Sarah, that one, that wife, you two are going to have a baby. I want you to have one. You want you to have one. But what's not happening? They're not having any kids, are they? But God wants it to happen. Abraham wants it to happen. Sarah wants it to happen. Who do you think doesn't want it want to happen? Satan does not want this to happen. Because he knows what happens 
if Abraham has a child. He knows what happens if Abraham has a child. He does not want that to happen. Of all those people, is Sarah at fault? Is she... Doesn't seem... Abraham? God? Of all those involved there, who would you say is the most guilty looking person? If you had a lineup, God, Abraham, Sarah, the devil. You have a lineup. Which one are you going to pick? Which one looks guilty to you? I think it's the devil. I think it's the devil. He doesn't want them to have kids. So he says, you're going to circumcise the males. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless, bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Now I want you to look at this, how many times this is, this is repeated. As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and shall be a mother of, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now let's take a look at this again. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, period. And I will bless her and I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. Shall be a mother of many nations. Kings of people shall come, shall be from her. That's two sentences in which he uses the word her six times. Now think back to when you were in high school. If you wrote a sentence and repeated a word like her six times in two sentences, what would happen? There would be red marks after a little while, right? Susan, you would know this. This is her, her whole thing. How many, how many red marks would you put on that statement? Probably five. Probably five. At least four. At least four. So, God gets four red marks on this statement that He's making to Abraham. Right? Four red marks, at least maybe even five red circles, and that she is a little questionable. What's he trying to emphasize here? Abraham, the son that you're going to have, it's coming from her. It's coming from that one right there. Her. You see that one right there? Her. You know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about her. Did you get that? I want you to fully understand this. I am talking about her. No one else over here. No one. I'm talking about her. Right? Her. 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 Who is that character that came up? You talking about me? You talking about me? Yeah, God says, I'm talking about her. Her. Her's the one I'm talking about. Right there. Her. He's trying to get a point across. I will bless her. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. Her and she shall be a mother of only reason her doesn't work there. And her shall be a mother of all of nations. It doesn't work. You gotta use she. But otherwise we're still doing the same thing. She. Kings of peoples shall be from her. 
We're trying to get this message across. We're talking about her. Got it? Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years... This is the one I was thinking about. We still have another one coming up. We still have another one interaction coming up. I thought this was the last one. This is not. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his, his descendants after him. So, it's going to come from her, and it's going to come from you. So, what did God change? What, what did change Abraham's condition? What is it that God did? Because after we get done this, his condition changes, doesn't it? Where do we leave off at? Verse 19. Pick up verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he will beget twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac from Sarah shall, shall bear you to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money. Every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of the foreskin that very same day as God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abram... Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So as soon as God speaks this, he speaks to him, you are going to have the son. It's going to come from her. And the sign of the covenant is the circumcision. So I want you to go out there and I want you right now, I want you to right now go out there and I want you to become circumcised. I want everyone born in your house from here on out to be circumcised. I want everyone that's in your house to be circumcised. I want them all circumcised now. And so he goes out and he does what? He does what God said to do. He does what God said to do. Verse eight, uh, verse 1 of chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, and as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Jump down to verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. That's the time of, it takes for a baby, nine months. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Now, have you ever been in a tent? You can stand inside of a tent. No one can see you. But you know what? You can hear everything. Because that tent is not soundproof. You can hear everything from that tent. So she stood there, heard all this stuff that was going on. And if you read the rest of the passage, it says that Sarah laughed. <laughs> Just like Abraham did before. She laughed. She thought, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm old. We're not even believing for this anymore. 
I'm old. Not even thinking about it. Whenever the thought comes up, we just say, oh, no. No. It's not going to happen. I'm not even going to get my hopes up. Not even going to think about it. Don't even talk to me about that, Abram. Don't even talk to me about it. But you see, God had in the chapter 17, He said, Abraham, we're going to change your name. You're going to be called Abraham from here on out. You're not going to be Abram. You're going to be Abraham. And Sarah, your wife, or Sarah, your wife, she's going to be called Sarah. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to get you talking differently. Now, everybody who has known you for these hundred years as Abram and Sarai, you're going to tell them. You're going to set them straight. When they come up to you and they say, Abram, how you doing? It is not Abram anymore. Oh, what is it now? It's Abraham. Why did you change your name? I didn't change my name. God changed my name. God appeared to you? Yes, God appeared to me. Changed my name. He said, my name is now Abraham. And I got to obey God and do that. How do we know that he did that? Because he went out and he did the only other thing he said to do, which was circumcise the males. Now, you know a little bit about the procedure of circumcision. If you were going to be obedient on only one of two things, which one would you choose to obey? (laughs) The one that causes less pain. Right? So if you did the one that caused the most pain, certainly you would do the other one that caused very little pain. If you're obedient enough to do the one that caused pain, you would be obedient enough to do the other one. And so, he goes out and he's circumcised, but he changes his conversation. And he's going around now, and when Sarah speaks to him, she doesn't say, she might even slip up and say, Abram! What's he say? It's Abraham. Abraham, father of many nations. Call me by my name. Father of many nations. Fine. Abraham. And, and Abraham... Sarai, hey, 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 uh-uh. if you got to do it, or if I got to do it, you got to do it too. What's my name? Sarah. So they first changed the conversations with themselves. The worst conversations, folks, that you have that hold you back are the ones you have with family. Because you're comfortable. And in that family setting, when you're sitting around the dinner table, you have no problem bringing up your doubts, your unbelief, and the reasons why it's not going to work. And when you sit down with family... Did you get that job yet? Did you get that raise yet? Did you have that baby? How's this thing going on over here? Well, no, it hasn't changed yet. No, I still haven't got that. No, that thing still hurts. No, I, feel si- I still feel sick. No, I still feel like this is, well, I'm not sure. I'm going to go to the doctor today and I hope he tells me something. You have all these conversations and all the doubt, all the unbelief can work its way into a family conversation more so than any other conversation that you have. The ones that you need to be in the most guard for are the ones you have with your family. It is the hardest to speak faith to the members of your family because they know whether it's working or not. Today's going to be a good day. How do you know that? Well, I don't really. They had to change the conversation they had with family. They had to change the conversation they had with the people that are around them. They had to change these conversations. They had to have different conversations. They had to speak differently. And so instead of speaking doubt and unbelief, now they're speaking, I am father of many nations. Why are you father of many nations? Because God called me the father of many nations. In fact, God changed my name to father of many nations. I am going to be the father of many nations. Then they start getting bolder with it and they go out and they talk to other people. 
Why are you Abraham now? Because God has said, I am going to be the father of many nations. He told me, he came and told me personally that my wife, Sarah, her, see that one? Her, her over there, that one. She's going to have a baby. It's going to be a son. We're going to call his name Isaac. We even got a name on it now. I'm going to call this son Isaac, the son that she is going to have. And they begin to talk like, talk like this and to speak like this. Why did you circumcise all your guys? Because the Lord told me, when He told me to change my name to Abraham, when He told me that Isaac was coming in the period of time of nine months, He told me Isaac was coming. He told me this was coming. And so He's talking about this. He's having this conversation. And the change occurred very quickly. Because, folks, the same principle that Jesus taught in the Old or the New Testament is alive and well in the Old Testament. The same principle that goes on. What is it that God did to change him? Well, let's go over this. The first thing he did. It began when he changed the way he spoke of himself. That's when it began. And when the change will begin for you is when you start speaking differently about yourself. You cannot have a conversation of doubt and unbelief and then go into the prayer closet and be in faith. You cannot have a conversation with your family members, your friends, the people around you and talk about how much this is not going to happen and then have a conversation with God in prayer about how it's going to happen. You've got to have that conversation with the people that are around you. If you have the conversation with the people that are around you, the people that are in family, the people that are your friends, the people that are acquaintances, the people that you strike up conversation with, if you will have conversations with them in faith, it will change you on the inside. The reason that, it, that we don't do it is because there's no boldness on the inside. Well, I believe that God will do it, but I'm not really going to be bold with people out here because they won't see it. They won't understand. So I'll keep this under wraps for them. Don't cast your pearls before swine and all. And that's not what God had Abraham do. Abraham, your name is changed. No longer. This is what God said, didn't he? No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Abraham. First thing, it began when he changed the way he spoke of himself. The second thing, it became reality when he believed what God said. Most of us talk like what God says could happen. We talk like God can make it happen. We talk like God has the ability to do it, but on the inside, I don't think it will happen for me. And until we get to the place where we have a conversation with the people that are around us that what God said will happen, until we get to the place where we believe that what God said will happen in our minds has happened. In God's mind, it's already happened. Got a child? His name is Isaac. We've already seen the end result. Nations will come from you. Nations, plural, that will come from you. All the nations of the world, even the ones that didn't come from you, all the nations of the world, they're all going to be blessed because of you. They're going to be blessed because of you. Verse 10. See, this is a different way that God spoke to him. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Why now are they having a son? 
Why does God wait 24, 25 years to bring this thing about? Why not do it right away? Well, God wants to make them stronger. Well, God wants to do a hard thing. Well, God's infinite wisdom, God just saw to do it this way. That's what a lot of us will will come out of there believing or saying. And yet, all through this whole process, all God has said was, this is going to happen. But in the conversations that we have with Abraham, how many times was Abraham in faith? And Abraham said, I agree with that. I would say the first time when he got up and left. And I would say the last time that we just read here in chapter 18. But all the times in between, we can find that Abraham wasn't quite in a place of faith. Even though God himself appeared. Now, if Abraham is not in a place of faith, and God wants this to happen, and the devil doesn't want it to happen, you've got to find out what your theology is. Can God make something happen to someone who doesn't believe it. Not if it's something he needs your faith involved in. There are some things he doesn't need your faith involved in. You are going on the rapture whether you believe it or not. Because your faith is not involved in the rapture. There's other things that your faith is not involved in. This is going to happen. God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. How much faith do you need to have that that will happen? Absolutely none. God's going to do it. He said he's going to do it. It's all dependent on God. It has no, no dependency on you at all. But there are some things that depend on you. Why is it that Jesus didn't teach the disciples about his death and re- resurrection until that point? He said, who do you say that I am? You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. From that point on, the door was opened for him to teach what he had been wanting to teach them for a long time. But now the door was opened. I could show you other places where they opened the door and then they didn't receive what came through that door. We don't have time for that. And here we go with Abraham. We got that lineup again. We got God, we got Abraham, we got Sarah, and we got the devil. Now we got that lineup again. We've got some new information. We didn't have this information before. That's a new information. We're looking at this lineup. Who is the guilty party? Who is the one that is keeping them from having kids? We got God, Abraham, Sarah, and Satan. Well, folks, Satan cannot keep the blessings of God from you. If you were in faith, he cannot keep the blessings of God from you. So he's eliminated. He can't keep it from you. God doesn't want to keep it from you, so we can eliminate God. So we got two people left, Abraham and Sarah. Now some of you might be thinking, well, they're both responsible. I want to take you back over to chapter 18 and verse 1 again. Look at that verse. 18 and verse 1. Pull it up there on the screen. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. 
So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Verse 3. And he said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought. Wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. That's not the verse that I want. We're going to go further down. Verse 10. And I said, and he said to me, or he said, the Lord said, I will certainly return to you according to what? The time of life. That means the time that is having kids. I will return to you from this day, the time that it takes for a baby to go through its process. I will return to you before he stopped by. He said it's going to be a year. So we're going to say about three months has transpired. Who is in faith in chapter 18? Who's in faith? Is Sarah in faith? No, she laughed. Who's in faith? Abraham. So here's our lineup. Who's guilty? The guilty party is Abraham because the only one who changed was Abraham. God still desired him to have the baby just as much. The devil still desired that he not have the baby just as much. Sarah was still doubting whether it was going to happen for her. But Abraham had moved over to the place of faith. So who was it who kept them from having babies? Wasn't God, wasn't Satan, wasn't Sarah. Only at least there's one guy left. Process of elimination, it was Colonel Mustard in the living room with the rope. It was Abraham. Why? Go back over to 17 again. When God gave him that last word and he laughed at God and God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to change your name to Abraham. You're going to change your conversation about yourself and I want you to circumcise all the men. What did Abraham do? circumcised all the men. He changed his name in his conversation about himself. He did what God said to do. If we do what God says to do, folks, it opens up doors because it changes us on the inside. And it changed him on the inside. When he finally did something to the degree that it changed him on the inside, the door was open. There was no longer bondage. The child was no longer bound from them. It was loosed. And it was not loosed because he said, I loose you in the name of Jesus. Or I loose you by the God of Israel. He did it by what he did. He did it by what he said. We're going to skip over David here. Perhaps we'll come back to him next week. But my actions have a corresponding effect to loosen in the bind. These actions include the things I do, my deeds, the things I do. Secondly, the things I don't do, my misdeeds. The things I do and the things that I don't do will cause things to be bound or cause things to be loosed. The things I say, my words... 
that I believe. I put this in parentheses. The things I say, my words, I believe. If you don't believe them, they don't have an effect. Abraham had to come to a point where he believed he was the father of many nations. Those three things, the things I do, the things I don't do, the things I say, the words I speak that I believe, those three things have the power to bind and to loosen. And if you want another real quick example, think of this. When the children of Israel left Jericho and went over to Ai to do battle with them, they lost because God could not fight for them. And why did God give the reason? When Moses fell on his face before, or I'm sorry, uh, when Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, what happened? What's going on? And God says, get up. Get up. The children of Israel have sinned and therefore cannot stand before their enemies. It wasn't what they said, I bind. It wasn't what they said, I loosen. It was what they did that caused the power of God to be bound or the power of God to be loosed. When they went into the, it tried to go into the land of Israel the first time, it's what they did in disobeying God. It's what they didn't do that God said to do that caused the power of God to be bound up. It's not what you say with your mouth, I bind, I loosen. It's what you do. It's what you don't do. And it's the words you speak that you believe. Now let's tie this back into our series here. If I go out and I become anxious, and the Word of God says, be not anxious, but I go out and I become anxious, what have I done? I have bound some things that are supposed to be loosed. I have loosed some things that are supposed to be bound. Because I didn't do what God said to do. Don't be anxious. If I worry, if I fear, what happens? I loose what I prefer to be bound and I bind what I prefer to be loosed. If I become bitter, unforgiving, what have I done? I have bound what I wished was loose and loosed what I wished was bound. But if the opposite is true, and if fear, worry, and anxiety try and get a hold of me, and I say, you're not going to get a hold of me, I'm not going to be in fear, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to be anxious, what do I do? I bind those things that we want bound, and I loose those things that I want loosed. Not by what I say, you shall be bound, you shall be loosed, but by what I do. You see, this principle is all through the Word of God. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Gospels. It's in the Epistles. It's even in the book of Revelation. It's all through the Old Testament. This principle is all through it. And yet nowhere will you find anyone saying, in the name of Jesus, I bind sickness and disease from coming upon me. Why would you have to do that? Who bound it already for you? But you see, it sounds good. And it's pulled a lot of people in because we are putting our attention on the wrong things. 
Don't put your attention on the wrong things, folks. Focus on the right things. If you're going to believe a principle in Scripture, that principle is clearly taught. It is taught often. And it is clearly demonstrated by somebody in the Word of God. And if it's not, you probably understand the principle incorrectly. And that's why you're not having the success. It's kind of like kicking the lawnmower. Sometimes it, it works, and so we keep doing it. A long time ago, I left you with this question to ponder. Yeah, I thought I had it in here. When do the actions of one or a few bind or loosen? When do the actions of of a few bind or loosen? Have that binding or loosing effect upon a larger group? When can the actions of a few of disobedience or obedience loosen or bind things for a group? Just something for you to ponder and think about. It has happened in the Word of God. What causes that to happen? Anyway, have some fun with it. Probably maybe next week we'll go over all the other scriptures we we didn't go over. This whole principle is so demonstrated in the life of David. It's just, through, and we had to look at the whole life. It's, it's amazing. You can't miss this principle. This principle is all through the Word of God. That's why Jesus said, whatever it is that you loose on earth will have been bound in heaven. I almost forgot one very important thing that I did lead on to. That's this. No, we can't do it. All right, we'll have to do this in another one. Because this is shown more in the area of David. Remember I told you? The, the part that um, when we do something on earth, we expect on earth for it to come. If I extend mercy, how many of you expect people on the earth to extend you mercy? If I extend a blessing to people on earth, how many of you expect a blessing from people on earth? Yeah? We kind of do, don't we? All right. We have failed to completely understand that principle. And it has just been tweaked a little bit. I'm not saying that principle is completely wrong. What I'm telling you is it's been tweaked in our belief so that our expectation does not meet what the Word of God teaches. And therefore, we're not receiving what we think we should. So we stop doing what the Word tells us to do. So we'll show you how this principle actually works. Because what he says is what you bind on earth will be bound where? In heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loosed where? In heaven. So will that come down and have an effect upon me? The answer is absolutely yes. Because the parable that Jesus gives, where did the effect happen? Down on earth where he lived. Absolutely, the effect happens there. So how does that go on? So we'll catch that. It's all through the life of David. We're going to show it to you in the life of David. So we probably will get into that next week. Would you all stand up with me? I know we kept you a little bit longer here today. Hope it was worthwhile. I only spent, meant to spend a little bit of time on Abraham. We're going to go over all the, all the other things. Father God, I thank you that you help us in the area of binding and loosing to understand that our actions have corresponding results. Then when we, 
we do things that you say to do. We loose the good things you promised us and we bind the bad things from coming down upon us. But when we don't do those things that you say to do, the opposite happens. It's a very strong principle in the Word of God. One that we don't always keep in our in the forefront of our minds. As we go out this week, help us to realize what we are loosing and what we are binding by the things that we do, by the things that we don't do, and by the words that we speak that we also believe. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of praise reports we have. I'll read quickly for you. Rashawn, Monday morning, about 10 minutes out from work, the check charging system light came on. I got to work, called Daryl, and he said that it could be the belt or alternator. The car was going to need to be towed because it was not going to make it far. Praise be to God. I kicked it, and it worked. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> Praise be to God. There is a gas station. Auto mechanic. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> auto mechanic across the street from my job. I was able to drive it over. It was determined to be the alternator. They were able to fix it and have it ready by 4:30. I was much less. It was much less than the dealer. God is able. Daryl, I was able to to share from the Word of God with my mechanic this week. I imagine that's the same guy. Oh. Uh, different guy. I would have uh, brought those two stories together. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Fake me out. Give me her real name. I know her as praise. Pastor, driver's license test, finally. Praise God. Praise Pastor, her driver's license test. Uh, Dr. Victor, stand with me in agreement. Oh, this is a prayer one. Stand with me in agreement that the part-time job offer in my school, which was denied my due to denied me due to a staff error be reversed to my favor hey that's what we can do let's let's stand up and and pray as we go Father we just thank you that favor is extended to Victor I thank you Father for the favor of God that is on his life I thank you Father that you are just blessing him because he does the things that you tell him to do and he doesn't do those things you tell him not to do he's opened up the doors of favor in his life we thank you for it in Jesus name Amen. All right, today, 1 o'clock, we're going to be on the sixth trumpet. This is quite a trumpet, quite an involved one. We're going to have that going on at about 1 o'clock, might be a little bit. We'll give you, we're over here on time here, so we'll give you two, maybe a few minutes after 1. Go out there, get something to eat for lunch, come on back here. Uh, Let's say at least 105, something like that, 110, somewhere there. Um, Next Sunday, we'll pick up some more on this. And I thought there was something else I was going to say to you about next weekend, but I'm not remembering it now. So we will just go with, go with that. Oh, Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we're back on the John the Baptist series. We're going to be picking up. We're going to be looking at Mom. His, uh, we looked at his father last time. We're going to look at Mom this time. And some of the things are going on with that in the beginning of his ministry. So that'll be uh, this Wednesday night, 730. Bless some folks before you go and have a great rest of your day.